fantasy for me is a way that I get really curious about what I need to feel good. You know, sex is a microcosm for how I want to show up in the world, which is being in touch with my desires, knowing what I need to feel amazing and not just being okay or being content with, yeah, this is I, you know, I feel like for so long, mediocrity was the only thing I knew. And so it didn't occur to me to pursue excellence. I'm Leanne. Welcome to Strippers and Sages. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Jamila Reddy, a writer, self-empowerment coach, and life enthusiast on a mission to help people manifest their dreams. I met Jamila when we were both selected as up-and-coming theater directors by the Drama League in New York City. We lived together in upstate New York and Brooklyn. We traveled to Mexico and New Orleans and Burning Man together, always in pursuit of magic and adventure. And Jamila has since become a trailblazer in radical lifestyle design and personal empowerment. They are the creator of Make It Happen, an online course for creative, compassionate people who want to be more powerful, purposeful, and spend more time doing what they love. I can attest that this course was really transformative and helped me kickstart multiple projects, including this podcast. So look out for the next one. Jamila has their own podcast, Deliberate and Doing It Afraid, which features personal stories from their journey to their best life and the lessons that come from it. Their work has appeared on TEDx, Greatest, The Body Is Not an Apology, and Shine. Jamila is one of the most inspiring, charismatic, and thoughtful people I know. I highly encourage you to follow them on Instagram, at Jamila Reddy. We'll link to their account. This conversation is filled with gems from Jamila's personal ethos, experience, and explorations of gender, sex, polyamory, queerness, intimacy, and pleasure, as well as their insights on grief and loss which they gained from serving as their father's death doula when he was dying from cancer only months after the sudden death of their sister. They've been through a lot. They have a lot of wisdom to share. One of the takeaways of this conversation for me was not to settle for mediocrity in sex or any area of your life because you think you either don't deserve any better or that better isn't possible. Jamila challenges us to have the imagination and the bravery to pursue genuine joy and fulfillment in our lives. And for that, I thank them. Heads up, this is my first Zoom recording, doing a remote interview during this pandemic, so there are a few audio hiccups in the beginning and throughout. Bear with us. Jamila and I laugh a lot in this episode. I hope you'll laugh with us. Next week, we'll be releasing a short bonus segment to this episode in which Jamila shares an amazing recap of a sexual encounter they had in the Orgy Dome at Burning Man. So if you've never been, this will give you a little glimpse inside the dome. So look out for that. I'd also like to say that Strippers and Sages stands in solidarity with the Black Lives Matters movement, and we are continuing to educate ourselves through these conversations about the intersection of racial justice and erotic liberation. So thank you for learning with us. We will continue posting resources on our website and our newly created Instagram account, at Strippers and Sages. Because if you're not on Instagram, you don't exist. So now we exist. Follow us there, and please share this episode with your communities. Um, I'm Jamila, and I'm a writer, and um, I'm a person who supports other people in um, knowing their power and living into their purpose, and I do that in lots of ways, mostly writing, sometimes teaching, 
recently meditation, um, guiding folks in meditation. And did I answer the question? Is that it? Yes. <laughs> Hello. Yes. Um, well, I know you, I knew you just started create, you just started your own podcast called, can you tell us the name of it? The name of my podcast is Deliberate and Doing It Afraid. And what inspired that? I know it's an Audre Lorde reference, which is yeah. resonant for me as well. Yes. Um, so Audre Lorde, um, Black, lesbian, poet, activist, um, said iconically, I am deliberate and afraid of nothing. And there's a part of me that wants that to be true, that I am afraid of nothing. And the truth is that I'm afraid of a lot of things. And I feel like fear is, I want to reclaim fear a little bit. I think people are constantly asking me, how do I be less afraid? And my answer is always stop trying to be less afraid and just do it afraid. And so that's where that comes from. And I feel like doing it afraid informs so much of who I am and how I move through the world. Um, And yeah, I I even hesitated or perhaps my ego hesitated. And I went back and forth about doing it afraid. Do I want to help people um, be fearless? Because that sounds so glamorous and so valiant and so cool. You know, like I want to be fearless, um, but I'm not. And, and the truth is actually, I don't, I don't really need to be fearless. I don't really, what I want more than fearlessness is courage, mm-hmm. which is a willingness to, to do something and the unknown. So. Do you remember, like, um, I'm remembering a very special New Year's that we spent many years ago in DC in which I'm pretty sure you scribbled on a wall not fearless, but brave. Yes. Yes. That was, that was the first year. Gosh, what was that? 2014, 15. Um, that was, I think the first, wow. That's like really probably the origin of my, of that being such a, such a like guiding philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I, I, I wrote that intention to explore it. And then I've spent the last six years really understanding what that means. Um, Do you remember what was going on for you at that time in your life that sparked that, that catalyzed this as, as such an intention for how to live in the world? uh, Probably uh, mediocrity. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The exception of, of our encounters, I was kind of in the, Oh man, it was so significant for me because I really felt like I was in a sleeping state and then I was like traveling to a place, like another dimension where things were real and I was awake and then going back to my real life and being like, I, I, I can no longer sustain this experience knowing that this other reality is possible. Um, and I feel like that was that year when I set that intention to be brave instead of fearless. I was afraid, I think, of what I might lose mm. if I 
pursued a life that I had no model for, you know, no, yeah, I didn't know. I was like walking into a lot of unknowns. Um, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I feel like I was really, I feel like I've been becoming myself my whole life. Mm. I think we all are. Um, but that year felt really significant. I felt like I gave myself permission to, to see like, okay, what's real for me? Um, mm. Even if I've never seen it or people don't understand it or they don't like it. Um, I just want to do it. I just want to do what I feel called to do and release attachment to other people's opinions about it. Hmm. And then thus it spawns this podcast that you're a couple episodes into that we'll definitely link to. And you had such beautiful wisdom to share there that I hope some of it makes its way on here. Um, you, so you're, you're maybe that, I mean, that's so appropriate that we have somehow honed in on that pivotal moment because you've become such a trailblazer in intentional living and lifestyle design and um, inspiring so many people to have a sense of agency and creativity uh, in terms of how they view and craft their reality. And everything that you've just said, I think is so relevant, especially in our most intimate relationships. And, you know, when we think about sex and eroticism, that is where that, that is such a deep opportunity for authentic attunement and also such a place of so much damage and damage and fracturing. And so I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about how this idea of fearlessness has um, informed for you or influenced how you've navigated intimacy and in your relationships and, you know, your own exploration of that realm. That's a biggie. <laughs> I had to reflect on it for a second. So it's a good question. I mean, I think in my interpersonal relationships is where I'm doing it afraid the most. And what I believe to be true is that every single human being, no matter who you are, wants to be loved, seen, heard, understood. And so that I think is at the root of almost every other fear that if we aren't successful in our careers, then we might not have the, um, the connections or the vibrancy to be connected with other people. And I think it all, every designer I feel like comes back down to connection, um, connection with yourself, like deeply being intimate with yourself and your, your truest self, but then also living authentically with other people and being able to be connected to other people because what, I mean, things are beautiful objectively when I experience them on my own, but the beauty is magnified when I get to experience them with someone else. And so I feel like um, my relationships are the places where I feel like I'm really doing things for the first time with people mm. in so many ways, just the, yeah, just in all the ways. I think I've never, you know, I'm, I'm queer and I don't have a lot of folks, elders, people who can tell me about queer relationships. I'm also polyamorous, ethically non-monogamous. And so I feel like I'm constantly wishing that I had 
this, you know, vast library of resources and realizing that I'm going to be creating the library, that I'm writing the books in the moment with these people, um, which is scary and terrifying and uncomfortable because it's like uncharted territory. And so there's no way to guarantee my safety. Um, it's very precarious because I'm like, where, what are we, where are we going? Are we doing this right? Like, I don't know. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of doing things for the first time and figuring things out, which feels very vulnerable. Um, but I find that the more willing I am to be vulnerable and the more willing I am to the chart, the un, you know, the new territory, the more I am rewarded, the more I benefit from like delicious, delicious, real ass connections with people. Mm. What, uh, what is a recent, uh, what's like the GCS reward that you've gotten from a risk that you've taken recently? in this realm so so many come to mind <laughs> we had time juicy rewards um okay well i it's truly hard to land on one i think i mean right now i really feel like i am living in a scenario that i imagined you know like in terms of um I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a poly relationship, polyamorous relationship right now with someone who has another partner. Um, and, and it, it feels like the younger version of myself is like looking at the current version and being like, it's pretty cool. You know, like, you know, that's, that's different, but okay. Um, and that, I think that the reward I think is just, is just, it's honestly feeling free. It's honestly feeling, it's, it's feeling free. That's the feeling I feel. I feel free to pursue desire, free to pursue connections. I feel like I have permission to just not be ashamed. I think that shame is something that I carried a lot when I, when I wasn't living in alignment with my truth. I was embarrassed and I felt like somehow admitting that I wanted to be intimate with multiple people and to have many lovers and to not cohabitate. I, I felt like there was something wrong with me for wanting those things that I didn't see other people wanting. Um, and so felt kind of deviant. And I feel like the juiciest reward is not having that feeling is being like, mm -hmm. Oh, actually, now that I'm in it, I see that there's nothing deviant about this at all. In fact, this is lovely and challenging in many ways, but also, yeah, just like settling into the, how normal it feels when I'm inside of it um, and how liberating that normalcy is. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in, in the realm of sex and love, I feel is where we have such strong scripts created for us. And um, it's really exciting, I think, right now to kind of see on a planetary level within certain subcultures, of course, a real like busting out of certain narratives and scripts and a subversion there and that it is uncharted territory and in that invitation like there's an invitation to kind of fantasize and dream and check it check out just just as we do we can in any other area of our lives right like this is what I want my life to do we, we talk about vision boarding and we talk about you know manifesting and just going after your dreams in terms of a career what do you want your life to look like and getting really specific about it um 
But to do that in terms of what do you want your love life to look like and what do you want your sex life to look like, you know, maybe people feel like there's these two options, like you can be this or you can be that and that's it. Right. And, um, it's been exciting just to be as your friend in conversation with you and watch you rewriting and inventing your own narratives for that and empowering other people to do, to do so. Even like you're saying, like, what does it mean to be in an intimate, in, in a partnership and, can you be in a long-term partnership without having to live with someone? Like what are some of the other expectations or kind of assumptions that maybe the dominant culture has imposed on how we relate that you've been questioning or subverting or playing with in your relations? I think a dominant narrative that's constantly questioned, which I so appreciate because it's questioned in my in my relationships, but then it also reminds me to question the shit in my own life and relationship to myself and the universe at all times, which is abundance versus lack. Mm. I feel like that's the biggest one always, like there's not enough love, not enough time. Um, there's not enough strength. There's not enough inner capacity to be able to have multiple partners. Um, and and I feel like the truth is that there's, there is enough and it helps me. It just reminds me to be sovereign in how I, how I distribute my resources and not just assume or agree that there, there is lack or limitation. I feel like it compels me constantly to question, is there lack here? Really? You know, and I feel like some, and of course, yes, it's so challenging. I think to, it's challenging. I think polyamory is challenging in the same way that monogamy is challenging. Um, and like queer relationships have their own complex dynamics and like black queer relationships also have their own queer, I mean, uh, own dynamics, black queer polyamorous relationships. Like there's a lot going on sometimes. Um, but I feel like, yeah, it's, it helps me. It just helps me see that so much of what, I believed about relationships isn't true and that, yeah, someone can really be truly happy for me when I'm receiving pleasure, even if they're not the source mm -hmm. and, that, um, and that I can actually take as much time as I want for myself. And that doesn't make me uh, selfish, selfish. Mm -hmm. or self-indulgent, that actually that's a, it's a benefit to everybody who's in relation with me. Um, that I am in deep relation with myself. But yeah, I think the abundance, I think, I think the way that I move in relationships is really rooted in abundance. Like there is enough of, there's enough of me, there's enough of you, there's enough love, there's enough time. Um, and there's more than enough of the, of the sources of my pleasure. I think really that's what it is. It's like, actually, I don't need to rely solely upon this thing or this person or this relationship to have my needs met. I affirm and acknowledge and, and practice, you know, this truth that my desires are met by all sources around me. Um, and that you know, my pleasures are abundant and they come from those sources. That's really powerful. Um, cause I'm always, so I think it's, I feel increasingly with every conversation I have on this show, even like just affirms for me how much the work that we do within, within this realm, like carries over to other areas of our lives. So to, 
to reframe and this idea of scarcity versus abundance, right? It's, it's, it's circulating. That's a concept that we collectively are trying, you know, some of us to, um, to lean into, but to have it come from your intimate relationships and then be able to spill over into the other areas of your life as an ideology that you actually feel some sort of somatic connection to and can like convince your being of through experience with your partners. It's very powerful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what, so what does dating look like for you right now or in the age of <laughs> COVID? Age of Corona, loving the time of Corona. Um, so dating looks like um, I have a, a long distance lover friend, um, and I use the word lover friend, I, and sometimes I use the word partner. Um, and I think both of those terms actually are in are in evolution for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so I have a, a lover friend slash partner. That's what what do they mean for you? Those terms getting into. And I think, you know, partner, partner to me means a collaborator in that we co you know, we collaborate on pleasure, joy, alignment, learning, um, and like wellness. These are the people that I consider my partners, the people who are invested in those elements for me and that. Um, we support each other in a- advancing or enhancing those things uh, with each other. And I've realized that partnership to me doesn't necessarily involve sexual intimacy or romance. Mm-hmm. That a lot of my friends, I feel like I consider my partners, uh, my life partners in a way that we're doing life together. Um, And also just challenging the hierarchy of partner over other kinds of relationships um, and kind of being radical and including non-romantic or non-sexual partnerships in my definition, I feel like just reminds me to, yeah, to not always put romantic relationships on a pedestal. Right. Um, And and lover friendship to me... Uh, I've been, I've been digging into what that means and somehow, sometimes unsuccessfully, (laughs) uh, to have lover friends. That's another episode though. Um, tales of lover friendships. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't know. There's a, we got room for it. (laughs) Tell us the tales. The tale tale of the, of the lover friendship, uh, the one that I'm, that I'm not referencing, but referencing is, um, yeah, just trying to blur the line or perhaps queer the line between lover and friend and really stems from my curiosity about expanding what I do with my friends. I mean, friendships are so, so anchored in shared experiences and we do yoga classes together and we travel together and we um, learn together and we, you know, play together and it's, it just seems a little silly to me that we wouldn't also facilitate each other's like sexual pleasure. I'm like, mm-hmm. but why not though? Like, <laughs> why not? Um, and certainly I think, you know, there's some, there's like chemistry and there's, you know, I don't think it's just like, I'm not saying, you know, balls to the wall, go fuck all your friends. Um, there it's nuanced and there's gotta be, you know, I think there's gotta be some 
yeah, I think chemistry is, is really, but I feel like I have chemistry with so many of my friends and I just don't want to block my blessings by saying, oh, well, these are my friends. Um, also I'm queer. So I feel like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I'm constantly like falling, feeling like my friends are so dreamy and they're also like beautiful and hot and smart and fun. And I love to hang out with them. And our experiences are already very sensual because what we do is like indulge together and like we sleep in the same bed. And yeah, so I basically, long story short, um, tried to blur the line between friend and lover with someone. And then um, what I think happened is that we wanted um, different things, but we're also going through a lot of personal things um, and and we weren't really communicating. We weren't really, commun- we weren't on the same page in terms of communication. We didn't communicate well. And so that ended up a little messy, to be honest. Um, but I've also had a really beautiful and successful lover friendship with a friend that I've had for a long time. And a few years ago, we've always flirted. And a few years ago now I was like, you know, so what's good? <laughs> like, you know, we've been flirting forever. And like, are you trying to be intimate with me basically? And they were like, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And- that was really sweet and it, you know it brought up some fears and, and we talked about it and we don't want it to compromise our relationship and we trust each other and we love each other and we enjoy each other whether or not we're intimate in that way um and so that I, that I feel like is another you know another win is that I dared I dared to to risk it all <laughs> and it actually turned out into a you know it's a really nice situation and we, we flirt we're flirty with each other but we also just have like friend we have friend check-ins, you know, or we talk and, um, yeah, it feels very organic and very natural and very normal. Um, Mm -hmm. that when I visit, you know, I can not expect, but, um, hope if it's consensual that there will be some like sexy play, um, but also no expectations because most of our relationship that hasn't been part of the dynamic and it's been great. Mm -hmm. Um, so great if we do great, if we don't. Do you feel like, are there friends who are off limits to you or is it, you know, is there like a certain tier of friend that, you know, in this kind of concentric circle, yes, too close in, no, those are my sisters or my brother. Not really. I mean, let's think about that. No, (laughs) I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I also think a core philosophy is to be open to there's infinite possibilities. And so I'm not the same person I was when we started this conversation on a cellular level. And okay. so I assume that, you know, the dynamics are never going to change. Certainly there's some friends where like, I don't, I don't really have. You don't feel the, the call. Yeah. I don't feel a call, but if this friend was like, listen, um, I have a fantasy to have, you know, this kind of experience and you are a person that I would like to involve in my fantasy. I probably would be like, it's an honor. (laughs) How can I facilitate this pleasure with you? Um, but yeah, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't think there are any friends that I would say are off limits. Um, I feel like all of my friends are people that would be open to, to exploring if that was something that we wanted to do. Um, and it just is like sexual exploration with friends. It's, it's, it hasn't come up with some friends because 
I think again, the chemistry and just right. like, yeah. I mean, I think there are some friends that do seem definitely more familial um, than others for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's something also that is special about that. And that's something I want in my, in my relationships with, I want there to be a, a sort of foundational level of friendship. Right. Um, everyone. And also I think the familial vibe really just is like shared values. It's like a intentional chosen family. Um, not, you know, not, we haven't come together under, because we have shared blood, but we've come together because we have shared visions and we have shared values. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like a real safety, I think, to exploring with friends and having that be a foundation. I'm just thinking about, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot in my own like adventures where when it doesn't start off that way, when it doesn't feel grounded in a friendship, if it kind of like initially starts as a flirtation, I'm very aware of my own, or I'm increasingly trying to like keep a, keep a good antenna up for my own authenticity, right? Like, mm -hmm. am I being fully in myself and rooted and like, you know, there's always that element of whatever that, whatever that is that's there when you're sort of in a courtship with someone or in a flirtation, that's just inevitable and part of the fun of like there's it's somewhat performative or you're being a little bit selective about what comes out and this and that right but then also I think there's something really beautiful especially when you're talking about exploring sexuality about having that really safe container and um foundation and like yeah why 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 not go there with people who you feel really intimate with and like I'm, I'm attracted to most of my friends I have a very high like <laughs> beauty parameter <laughs> if I'm honest um no but I also have a broad definition of beauty so it's okay yeah. um so when you talk about like fantasies uh I'm curious tell me about fantasy tell me about the role of fantasy and as you're getting into these, these sexual explorations with people you know how has that started to play a role in your life fantasy for me is a way that I get really curious about what I need to feel good. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I was just describing, I feel this is a metaphor I use a lot when thinking about relationships, but also when thinking about sex, because in many ways, I still feel very inexperienced sexually. Um, I came into my queerness and well, I've always been queer, but I started acting on my queer impulses, um, you know, in my, in my early twenties. And, and still, I think the, probably the majority of the sex that I've had has been like pretty heteronormative. Um, so I, the metaphor that I use a lot is like going into a restaurant and being handed a blank and someone being like, what can I get for you? And it's kind of like, uh, what do you have? <laughs> So I sort of feel like that's kind of, that's how I feel a lot of the times when thinking about fantasies. I, I notice that my imagination feels a little limited because I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure what's available. And the more that I learn and the more that I like honestly watch porn and like the more that I talk to other people about sex, the more I'm like, oh, I would have never thought of that, but that sounds 
great. Um, you know, like I want that. I feel that way. It makes me think of like your food concoctions that you used to make all the time. And I'd be like, I would never, I don't think I would ever put that on there. <laughs> but yes, now I know it's my favorite snack. And I feel that way about sex sometimes. Um, and so I'm in a process of like, just exploring my fantasies and trying to, yeah, think about like really get in my body and be like, what is the sensation that would just feel so good right now? And I feel like getting clarity on my fantasies requires me um, like pleasuring myself and spending time with my body and just like exploring, putting my hands on my body and being like, does this feel good? Like, this is a thing that I feel like a lot of people do in sex, but like, I'm actually not really, actually, I don't really love that. So like, <laughs> you know, just getting, getting familiar with what feels good and, and what my body is kind of like, meh, could do without it. Um, but yeah, I think the role that fantasy plays is just compelling me to get curious about what feels really good. Mm. Uh, and also I think it, it's sort of like, it kind of feels like, there's, there's, it's a way to explore other parts of myself that are maybe dormant or not as fully expressed in my day-to-day -day life. Um, that I find that in most of my fantasies, there's like a, there's the truth about me that I want to explore or that I want to activate in some way so that my external reality is kind of more aligned with that inner knowing. I feel like fantasy is kind of a way to get closer and closer. Um, and so yeah. And, and in a way that it's playful. So it's like, yeah, I sometimes like want to be bossy <laughs> and I want people to do what the fuck I say. <laughs> I don't necessarily, that dynamic in my day-to-day -day life doesn't really feel it's like, I don't really want to do that. Like with my mom, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but there's a part of me that loves that feeling of, of just tapping into a sense of someone trusting me to direct them. Um, and that feels good. And that brings me pleasure. And, and fantasy is a way I think to harness that in a playful exploratory way um, without there being the same kind of like interpersonal dynamic, you know, there's a container I think for the thing. Um, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot to be gained from that container. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love also I mean, I think it's a good little shout out to like porn, for example, because I think it gets a bad rap and, and I give it a bad rap sometimes. And also it's something like, um, where I want to be making some, because I think inherently, like, it's a really beautiful, like Im imagery is what shapes our consciousness. Right. And right. so we are all, you know, on the one hand, have an infinite source of imagination connected to some like primordial thing. And also we are... <laughs> humans who like influence and inspire each other and especially when I would say again like our our the default is a very narrow um like we have a very narrow um exposure to sexuality I think when we're growing up and in our culture and this and that and so um in the way that as an artist you like need inspiration and you need to kind of expose yourself to a lot of things it's really awesome to think about how to fill our well in terms of sexual fantasy and like inspire and see what we like. And that like, that's a really healthy way to do that within the realm of imagination and within the realm of art, because it lets you kind of try things on for yourself. Um, totally. And yeah, that fantasy 
you know, we get to work shit out in the bedroom. <laughs> we get to like play with archetypes and aspects of ourselves that maybe we don't lean into or want to lean into in our, in our default lives. Um, and that there's so much growth there that I think is so empowering. How have you, um, in, in this exploration, you know, there's having your own fantasy and then there's communicating that fantasy and that's its own <laughs> art and skill. So what, um, what can you offer in terms of just your own evolution around that and maybe perhaps some insights on how people can start to play in that space from a place of empowerment and integrity? I think um, I, I'm really fortunate right now to be in relationship with somebody who is just so willing to be a learner with me, to learn about me and to learn alongside me. And so I feel like there have been so many times where I've said, like, I feel shy. I feel awkward. I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I don't know what to say. And just getting really courageous about naming and being upfront about my discomfort, actually. Mm. I think that, like, trying to, like, be sexy and cool and experienced and, like, hot all the time and really direct and clear about my pleasures and my boundaries is just like not my truth sometimes. And so pretending that I am like, you know, totally sure of what I want and absolutely confident about getting it kind of plays my, I play myself if I do that. And so there's been a lot of, I've created a lot of opportunities to get closer to that being my truth by just being upfront and saying, not there yet. Um, I'm gonna need you to just, you know, be patient with me <laughs> as I get there. Um, and every time I do that, I, I've been in a relationship with someone who's just like, fuck yes, like that's totally fine. And sometimes they share that sentiment and, um, I feel very encouraged to, I feel, yeah, I feel like I have a lot of permission to figure it out. And someone who is like, you know, it's, what, I don't want to say forgiving, but well, I mean, that is the word forgiving, but, um, I don't feel pressure I don't, I feel like our relationship is valuable with or without sex. And mm -hmm. so that I feel like has given me some kind of spiritual wiggle room to, to just not, to not feel like I need to rush to be figuring something out and that I can explore at a pace that feels, um, that feels good for me. That being said, I think just like, yeah, develop, normalizing communi communication about desires and things that feel good and things that don't feel good. I think that it can't just be about sex and intimate connection. It has to be, it has to be a, a value. It has to be part of the culture of the relationship. So something that I learned from a previous relationship that didn't feel good for me and that I just, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, is that I, I was constantly, there were little, little things that I'd be like, Ooh, that doesn't, something about that doesn't sit right in my body. But then being like, no big deal. Cause I, cause I don't really know. I don't have a solution. I don't really know how to process it. I like, you know, I know that maybe it's circumstantial um, or that something's going on to inform why this person responded this way. And so I'm just going to, you know, let that kind of float into the ether. Um, and I realized that that actually did a disservice to myself and to our relationship. And so in my current dynamic, um, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with just naming as soon as I notice 
hey, this didn't feel good for me. I don't really have much else to say. I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> um, and getting into practice of just communicating what is going on in my experience. It's not even like filing complaints, but just like this came up for me when you did this or when we had this experience or just constantly choosing to be transparent, choosing to let someone into what is going on in my internal world as it relates to our connection. Um, and that normalizing that outside of the bedroom makes it so much easier to do when it comes to sex and intimacy. That's an amazing point and vice versa, right? It's like a two-way kind of street. Um, but what I, what I love about what you're saying and it harkens back to where our conversation started and your podcast is like, you know, not fearless, but brave, same thing, not like not savvy, but showing up or whatever, whatever the pithy thing is, right. Right. Where you're like, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm about to like lay down a fantasy and then act it out. And the way that I show up and perform it is going to be like, you know, match the pristine vision of what that is. Um, but just, yeah, I think, I think maybe a lot of people might have the desire, the impulse. We have this way that we want to be just like in life, in sex, right? Like there's a persona where I want to be someone who is really direct. I want to be someone who's just like so comfortable and so able to, you know, this, this and that. And in naming, just like in the name of your podcast, like do, I'm afraid I'm naming that as the first thing that I say and that I'm doing it. Right. And to be like, I'm whatever it is. I'm embarrassed about this thing. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what I want, but I'm showing up and I'm trying to do that. I think that's, um, again, also in terms of what are the images, like what's in our, our collective culture in terms of what indoctrinates us sexually is like, I, I just started watching my, my quarantine, like not even guilty pleasure. Cause it's like a very conflicted experience I'm having with it, but is, I started watching Sex in the City again, like, which I watched 20 years ago when I was whatever in high school and had a very different relationship to it for many reasons. Cause like, A, I'm now in my thirties, which those women are too, and B, like pretty radical in how I think about most things related to sex and gender and like feminism and all of that. And, um, so to like go back and watch that show now through the lens of this conversation and many of the conversations that we're having that I'm having in the show is like, okay, what does that show show us? It's just women are in the throes of pleasure all the time, right? Like there's lots of awkward things that they show happen, but, um, yeah, or movies and Hollywood, it just all looks so polished, right? It looks so polished. There's never these awkward stumbling moments. There's never the pause to be like, yeah, I'm totally in love with you and I'm super aroused. And also I just like got super triggered. <laughs> this is what's happening right now. And so when that then does happen for us, which is much more of a real human experience, it's hard not to feel like broken or feel shame or feel like it's not okay. Or that even the fact that you're having that experience somehow um, undermines your sexuality or, you know, your ability to also manifest that fantasy version of yourself. And so, um, yeah, I, th I think it's a great tool that you're sharing, which is just that it's all part of it. Right. Yes, for sure. And, and that, I mean, again, the, the way that it mirrors so many other aspects, the way that, you know, our sexual lives mirror so many other aspects of our lives is that 
Like there's constantly going to be anytime we're going after anything we want, there's going to be some stumbling and, and we've got to be willing to endure the discomfort of the stumble or else we'll never get to, you know, we'll never get to where we're going. I feel like that is so many of us and myself included for so long read, you know, discomfort or the lack of clarity as a sure sign that this wasn't intended for me. Like, oh, I, right. oh, well, you're like a beginner. So like, this isn't for me. And so I'm just going to drop it. And like, how many, if, if I had held on to that, how many things, how many beautiful experiences I would have denied myself access to, um, if I wasn't willing to endure the discomfort of being a beginner or the discomfort of exploring something that, you know, I'm not familiar with. Well, it's, it's extra challenging, I think, in the realm of intimacy, because and particularly maybe before you've developed a certain level of trust with someone. And even then it's like, okay, and then the more you love them, the more you like want them to love you. So there's like the desire to be attractive, right? And that's a thing that you bring into space. And so there's that um, being vulnerable is being seen in your stumbling. And um, I wonder if that has come up for you or how, you know, you, you reframe or how you might suggest like, gracefully navigating the stumble and overcoming that fear, which is like, uh, I'm showing up in this way that to me doesn't feel very sexy or, or that fear of, you know, turning your partner off when you are in that moment. Mm. I think, I think getting really clear about what is important to you and why you're in relationship with people in the first place and so I feel like, um, you know, I'm in, I'm in relationships with people for the reasons that I mentioned, so that I have collaborators in my wellness and in my joy um, and in my pleasure. And I feel like I have to remind myself that if someone is turned off by the complexity of my truth, then... I don't actually, I'm not losing much if I'm not as intimate with that person. Um, that, that's not actually a loss. Okay. Right. Um, that's actually a gain. Okay. If I'm able to create space between myself and someone else who is not willing or not able to show up for my fullness. Um, and so, yeah, also it's, I, I want to be in relationships with people who who are also vulnerable and who are also willing to stumble that gives me permission to do the same. So I feel like we encourage each other by, by doing that, um, by, by showing, by modeling for each other, you know, like, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable so that you can be vulnerable. And that I want you to be vulnerable. That reminds me to be vulnerable. Um, and it's really just, I really, I, what I really and truly and deeply want is like authentic, intimate connections. I want it to be real. And I want it, I want us to connect on a heart level and I don't want to have to sustain performance with people um, because it's exhausting and it's, and, and for what, why, when I know that I could have um, authentic connections. And I also know that authenticity means you get to see the mess, like the mess is present. Um, you know, authenticity isn't just about like, oh, having a cool career that makes you feel like the person you are inside. It's like letting people, letting people into the truth that there's a shit storm happening. Okay. Sometimes, <laughs> um, that's just what's going on. Okay. Um, but yeah, 
how do you, um, I'm curious how you uh, choose to be intimate with someone, like if what, you know, when given this conversation, what you're sort of looking for or at or what signs in yourself you look for. And also if there's some counsel around that and then how you navigate the very early stages of intimacy when you are becoming vulnerable and learning each other and just entering that space. I think getting in touch with my body has been probably the biggest game changer in um, just knowing how to relate with other people because I know when it's a yes in my body and I know when it's not. I can feel when um, there's like electric current when someone's name pops up on my screen um, or uh, I notice, I also do a lot of, I do a lot of things to notice myself. So I meditate, I do morning pages. So I'm constantly engaged in practices that help me see myself, um, so that I am aware of what is going on in my internal world. Because if I'm not, then my external world is sort of just chaos, um, because I'm not being intentional. So I do a lot to notice what's going on. Um, and because I'm so, because I'm, because I practice constantly, I practice going in and checking in and surveying my landscape. I'm, I notice when I'm like, Ooh, uh, uh-uh, that's a no, you know, we're like, Ooh, vibe was off with that person or, Oh, I noticed that I'm avoiding texting this person back. <laughs> um, that I, that I just have lots, I create intentionally lots of opportunities to notice my responses to the world, um, to notice my responses period to myself, to the world. And so knowing, knowing that I'm, that I, I trust myself actually, um, to be guided by my gut. And so that is something that informs when I decide to be intimate with people, like, does this feel good? And I'll just like sit down, lotus position, take a deep breath and be like, okay, imagine the scenario of like kissing this person or um, doing a whatever, whatever's on the table, you know, like being vulnerable with this person, telling them about this experience. Like, imagine what that might feel like. Does that feel good for me to do? Body, what do you have to say? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, then I'll move forward. Um, I feel like I, yeah, I check in with myself enough to know when, my, when it's a yes in my body and when it's a no. And then when, when you get to a yes, are there... Are there conversations that you have up front? Are there, um, I mean, I'm sure there's not a formula, but you know, like what are, what are some things that as you continue to be exploring, you know, that you find um, set you and a new partner up for quote unquote success, which I just mean, you know, um, an authentic connection and and a rewarding, rich, juicy experience with one another, given everything that we're talking about. Totally. I think, stating your values. Um, like I really value, uh, I really value autonomy and independence. And so, uh, making sure that there's alignment with our values. So, you know, if I say to someone, I really value autonomy and I really value independence. Um, and, and, you know, it's really important to me to have a lot of alone time and I don't want to cohabitate and, you know, being upfront about the things that are important to me, the things that give my life, um, 
meaning and deliciousness. I feel like I got to know what those things are so I can tell them to someone up front. And then I listen to see, okay, is there, do, are we, do we agree on some of these things that are important to us? And if it's not, if we don't, that's okay. Um, but you know, sharing my values, sharing my desires and sharing my intentions. So like, I would really love to date you by which I mean, I would love to get to know you and have like intentionally pleasurable experiences. Um, and I am interested in doing the following kinds of things with you. Um, yeah, just stating your desire and then stating your intention. So here's what I want to do. And what I intend to do is, um, you know, like if I want to date someone, I'll say like, I would love to date you. I would love to do the following things. And I intend to um, like come up with some date ideas that we can do. Like I intend to check in with my other partners or, you know, so letting other people know, like, here's, here's the work that I'm doing on my side in this dynamic, um, I think is, is useful. And do you, and do you have that kind of conversation specifically about sex? <laughs> cool. well, I think I was just thinking back on the last couple of folks that I've had sex with and I feel like those conversations happen usually like some parts of those conversations happen up front like I feel like there's definitely like get to know you period but then also afterwards after usually I feel like that's when the check-ins start um like after sexual intimacy is when oh yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm like trying to think. I'm like, oh man, I haven't had that much sex, which is fine. Um, but I'm like thinking about the examples that I can pull from in my life. I feel like the conversations, most of them have happened. Like the sex has happened pretty organically. And then afterwards right. it's like, and this is a new thing. Right. Now let's process. Let's do Okay. That was fun. Like we were in the moment, you know, there's always consent conversations, of course. Um, but then afterwards it's like, okay, well, let's have the bigger conversation about how we continue to explore this. I'll, I'll offer for listeners like, um, that I've newly started having a lot of conversation about sex with, with the people I'm, I'm going to sleep with up front. Um, not even in a very intentional, like it wasn't something I was like, I'm going to start doing this. Um, but it just started happening in like, I found it was what I needed to feel safe with people. I think especially like so many of us probably in our younger lives and that I want to get, that's, that's where we're headed next for you. Get ready. Um, but right. If we like don't have very healthy or rewarding earlier experiences where we haven't learned how to communicate really well, um, there can be a kind of PTSD, I think, where it's like, I, for me, I, in having upfront conversations of some kind, it like allows me to know that I am trusting myself to communicate with this person, which then makes me feel safe enough with myself to go have sex with them because I know that I've already like exercised the muscle of communication and like spoken a vulnerability or spoken a need or spoken a desire and like, you know, gotten like gotten the mouth working, broken the cobwebs of communication. And then it allows me because that flow has been established, it like allows me to then sink into the physical in a way, knowing that we've already created that channel, um, which is a really useful thing. That's really new for me that I'm just wanting a presence in this conversation. I think that's where that question came from too. 
as like wondering. Um, yeah, that's, that's good. Beautiful. The more I get clear about the kind of life I want to have and how I want to move through the world, I feel like my relationships just level up. As I level up, my relationships level up. Mm-hmm. Um, my tolerance for bullshit gets lower, and my um, you know the my my access to pleasure gets higher, mm-hmm. and so that or wider, easier. I don't know, but you know what I mean. Um, something that I feel like has informed uh, like the renaissance of my sexuality has been like leaning into an exploration of gender. Um, and I, uh, a couple years ago had a coworker who is this trans non-binary femme and she posted on Facebook, you know, like as a trans femme, a question that I get all the time is like, how do you know, you know, how did you know that you were a woman? And people mm-hmm. are always asking, how did you know that you weren't, um, you know, your, uh, your sex assigned at birth, um, or your gender assigned at birth and, he was like, and so I have a question for like cis women. Like, how did you know that you were a woman? Everyone's always asking me, but like, how, how did you know? You know, I have the same question for you. And I reflected on that. Like, like, how do I know that I'm a woman? And the only answer that I could come up with was, I don't. I was like, because I have like a vagina and breasts. And I was like, no, like immediately I was like, no, we are, that's not it. Like, I already know that doesn't make me a woman. Um, and so like, what is it that makes me a woman? And so asking that question really started me on this journey of just reflecting on my gender and being like, wow, I've kind of just assumed this role of woman, but like, does it feel do I feel like attached to it? Do I feel like I am a woman? I'm like, not really. I mean, I'm not particularly like offended or disturbed when people make that assumption about me or when people call me a woman, but I also feel like I don't even really fully understand what that means. And I'm definitely not attached to it um, as any part of my identity. It's not something that I feel like is essential to my being. Like I feel honestly like, a person. Um, and I actually love to play around with gender expression. Like I love, I inherited a bunch of my dad's clothes. My dad died in March of last year. So almost a year exactly. And I inherited all of his clothes and he has like these like fly ass button ups and like bomber jackets and just like these, you know, masculine clothes that I was wearing and being like, Oh my gosh, I feel so good. Like I was looking in the mirror and being like, Yes, I never, I never realized until I started playing in it, literally, like literally putting on the clothes, like putting on the performance, how good it feels to be, to be in this performance, um, to perform my gender in a more like gender queer, gender fluid, androgynous way. Um, and, and so I think that like, I feel like I got like sexier after I like started to explore a like kind of gender queer, like gender non-conforming identity. Just like, you know, like I started exploring like my, my inner daddy. Like, I feel like I've got, there's like, uh, you know, like I feel like there's a, yeah, just like leaning into my masculine energy, um, and exploring like what that means to me. Um, has been really rewarding and has been something I think that has opened up 
a different realm of possibility in my sexual um, relationships because I'm not defaulting into this woman role of like, you know, all of the all of the bullshit narratives that that are tied to that role, which is like the expectation to be submissive or the expectation to be, you know, I don't in a in a serve you know more of a service role or even like the expressions of femininity, like softness and like yeah. Now I'm like I want to fucking be strong as fuck, with, and so that I can like you know I want to like in my daddy pants. <laughs> think though but like that has given me that has given me access to like lots of different ways to play with people and I think like that is really fun and something that I'm really enjoying kind of like playing up that aspect that kind of queer gender identity has created a lot more fluidity in my sexual relationships which has been just delightful Mm. you mentioned role play earlier is that a realm that you dabble in or are there what what's the kind of like fun that has been now in this more exploratory place um, what are some other things that you can tell us about? Well, I think I'm like, wow, queerness is such a blessing to, to me, <laughs> to my life. Um, something that I definitely didn't explore in my non-queer, like sexual relationships was like, like I would never, or not maybe would never, but I never did like tell a like cis het man what to do hmm. in the bed. That, that never happened. I never gave an instruction. Oh, I like was never you like. Um, not what I like, but what to do, like, okay. like giving a directive, like, um, you know, turnover or, um, you know, <laughs> whatever, any kind of directive. I never did that. That was, I was always the one following and receiving just, I just fell into that role and I'll take responsibility. Right. There's of course socialization and like, you know, subconscious training, but I also, I never questioned it. Um, and so that has been something that I feel like, um, is an area of like playing with kind of, um, yeah, being more dominant and being more assertive. And it's really challenged me to like, be like, Oh, what do I want you to do? Um, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, like, I don't even, I didn't really used to think about that. Um, so Lauren, giving myself permission to like be the, not even, it's not even, it's, it's not even like the, the lead. Um, but taking less of a submissive role because I'm not assuming this, you know, I'm not assuming a hierarchical dynamic where like I am supposed to follow instructions. Um, that has been really, really fun. Totally. Yeah. I think that there is such medicine and queer play, particularly when you are first starting out for the ways in which that you're talking about, like that in some of my experiences, Um, which have not been so many, but I would say the first like meaningful experience I had with a woman that uh, was so interesting to be like, oh, like we are, we're both used to, because we would both mostly dabbled in these heteronormative or um, heterosexual spaces. And we're like, oh, okay, wait, we're both used to being the girl, (laughs) you know, like we're both used to, and everything that's loaded with it. And I know this isn't clearly, this is like an area that I've interrogated a lot, but until I was really put in the situation experientially to then reflect on like how gender has informed my sense of sexual agency and like femininity and masculinity within myself and how we were like, oh, well, we're both used to playing this one role. So 
now we're both going to step into another role or, you know, take, take on the more masculine role or kind of take turns and like watch that energy flow back and forth and watch where and when it felt comfortable and when it felt like, oh, this is really like (laughs) an edge for me of, you know, feeling like in the more dominant or masculine place. Um, I think that there is some really powerful exploration there. Um, and something that, you know, you can bring into a hetero relationship as well with, with that intention and that self-reflection. I, I actually want to bring up this Audre Lorde quote since she's a source of inspiration for both of us and both of our podcasts. And I think it's something that's really relevant to a lot of the work that you are doing, um, which I'll just say, you know, in so much of what I think that you're putting out there is really about um, empowering people to take responsibility for their lives and for their experience and to be powerful and exploratory. And um, you spoke earlier about your own body as a litmus test for what feels right and how do you know when that, in terms of wanting to sleep with someone or not, or just your own practices of checking in. I think that's a lot of what you um, encourage your followers and your community to develop in terms of a skill set. And this quote from Andre Lord is, um, she says, our erratic knowledge empowers us, becomes a lens through which we scrutinize all aspects of our existence, forcing us to evaluate those aspects honestly in terms of their relative meaning in our lives. And this mm-hmm. is a grave responsibility not to settle for the convenient, the shoddy, the conventionally expected, or the merely safe. I think the the bridge is knowing what feels good, knowing the conditions that support your joy and pleasure, and then giving yourself permission to have those things. So I feel like that is, I mean, the you know, sex is a microcosm for how I want to show up in the world, which is being in touch with my desires, knowing what I need to feel amazing and not just being okay or being content with, yeah, this is I, you know, I feel like for so long, mediocrity was the only thing I knew. And so it didn't occur to me to pursue excellence. Mm -hmm. Um, Enough was you know, I I was kind of operating at good enough is, you know, is, is what I got. And so why, why pursue anything more? Um, if this is good enough. And I feel like at a certain point I was like, you know, good enough is, is actually not, that's not what I want to, I don't want to land at good enough. I want to keep going until it is like, enthusiastic yes or like absolute alignment or ultimate pleasure and delight because I know that I can have those things um so why why would I say yes to anything less and and I feel like that is um that's just like how I want people to live in the world is knowing what they need to feel incredible as much as possible because grief is inevitable and sadness is inevitable. And so knowing that we're going to have to endure seasons of darkness and discomfort, why not lean into the seasons of, of deliciousness and ease when we can to be a buffer and to energize us to be able to navigate the, the experiences that aren't that. Um, and just like grieving, I think has also given me a lot of permission to, to make my joy proportionate, 
Um, mm -hmm. and, and recognizing that, you know, there's no way to avoid um, grief and it's, it's always going to visit us that no, no human being is exempt. And so if I know that, that if I know that it's coming, um, then when it's not here, I want to be really intentional about feeling something else. Mm. That when it comes, I don't have to be, I don't have to be afraid of it. I can just sort of say, you know, I, I've, you know, it's like being on vacation. It's like when you're on vacation for a week, it's so much harder to go back to not being on vacation. But when you're on vacation for eight months, when you have a task to do, it's kind of like, all right, <laughs> you know, no big deal. Um, and I feel that way about pleasure and about living in alignment that, you know, it's like the hard times are coming. And so the least we can do is gift ourselves a diversity of experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely wanted to ask you about grief and you just released a really beautiful episode about it. And you mentioned your father's passing and I know your sister also passed in that same year. And so you've had a profound um relationship to grief over the last year and a half or so and I'm curious um what your relationship to joy and pleasure was during that time so you're talking about the seasons and it's a really great um beautiful reflection you're sharing about okay when you encounter grief you know it's so connected uh the poet I always butcher how to say his name but Khalil Gibran maybe that's right says that your capacity for joy is your capacity for sorrow, or I think it's the quote is about your it's it's joy is like your sadness unmasked. And so that there is this, it's all about capacity for feeling. Right. But um, yeah, I'd love for you to, I'd love to hear about how you were kind of relating to pleasure and joy in that period. Well, I learned that they can exist at the same time, actually, that mm -hmm. they're, like just because I'm grieving doesn't mean that I'm not also laughing and experiencing pleasure. Um, and I, again, had to do a lot of releasing and an idea of how I should be feeling like, Oh, you know, my sister just died. Like I should be sad all the time. And that wasn't my truth. I was sad a lot. <laughs> like don't get it twisted. It was, I was devastated for, a bit, for so much of it. Um, and I'm still devastated by it. And in the midst of that, I was also experiencing laughter. You know, someone brought over a frozen block of Kraft mac and cheese um, in a in a like to go Tupperware container, and we laughed. I mean, it was I just couldn't help myself but to laugh at the absurdity of some of the things that people did and said during you know the moments after my sister passed, and and there was something always that felt a little wild about laughter like whoa mm -hmm. you know the fact that I'm, like, I'm laughing but this tragic thing is happening um, and getting okay with that with that complexity and recognizing that you know there's never just one feeling there's never just one state of being that they're all happening at the same time and the way that they emerge is going to fluctuate you know they they, they come out and they harmonize and sometimes there's discord but they're always present together um, all of the feelings are always within me. Um, and then, and then also something that I really profound that I experienced as my dad, uh, because my sister died suddenly and, and, you know, I think is, is definitely impacted by 
whatever, however, especially grief around death, the way that the death happens does have an impact on the way that the grief happens. My sister died suddenly, but my father was dying for some time and I knew that he was going to die. Um, and so it was very clear to me and I, and I, and I, it must be the ancestors of the universe just blessing me, but it was very clear to me that I was in a moment that was going to change me forever. I just knew it. Okay. I know that I'm going to be forever changed by this experience and how do I want to navigate it? I felt like I get, I had agency. I got to choose. Um, and, and knowing, and, and I, I just recently talked about this, um, but I used to think of trauma as a, a, you know, the post-traumatic stress disorder, like trauma was a thing that was happening or that had happened to you in the past. And when my father was dying, I was very aware that I was in a traumatic container. I was like, this is a traumatic incident. This is going to impact me forever. This is going to change everything about my life. And how can I show up for this traumatic experience knowing that it's knowing that I'm in it. Um, because I think a lot of trauma people experience, they don't know that they're in it um, because it's normal to them at the time, you know, happens to them. A lot of trauma happens to people when they're young. Um, but knowing that I was kind of entering into a trauma experience compelled me to get really curious about, okay, well, how might I help it move through me? Like I know that also trauma fucking attaches itself in the body. And so how do I help it move through so that it doesn't get stuck in me. Um, and I did a lot of meditating and I did a lot of dancing. I think I danced every single day. My dad was like actively dying for 30 days and every day I danced. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost every day I meditated and I wanted to make sure that I was in my body. I was like, I want to be fully present. If he only has a few days left, I want to be here for every single moment of them. And what are the things that help me be present? It's being in my body. And so I knew that I had to be in my body and dance was going to shake some energy up, out and through me. Um, and so I was dancing and, and it was so joyful. I mean, there were just moments where, you know, I was just fully in my body and I wasn't thinking about sorrow. I wasn't thinking about the future. I wasn't thinking about what I could have, would have, should have. I was just dancing. Um, and it was sort of a, it was like a vacation that I got to take, you know, in my own body to, for a one song or for a couple songs on a playlist to just be fully present in the moment. Um, and it helped me be fully present throughout the whole experience, truly. Um, and I really am proud of myself and grateful for the wisdom that I had access to, to know I need to be breathing deep and I need to be dancing. And that's mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and is the meditation that you're doing, we're doing um, the type of Buddhism that you practice or was it breath work or tell us? What was I doing? I honestly, I think I was setting a timer for like an hour, 45 minutes and just focusing on my breath, doing my best to bring my full awareness to my breath. And anytime my thoughts wandered, to notice that they'd wandered and to bring my attention back to my breath until the timer went off. Was just, I was really practicing. Presence. Presence and practicing being aware of my breath and noticing, oh, I'm holding my breath because I've started thinking. Mm. 
not that I've started thinking, but that my awareness is now on my thinking <laughs> as opposed to on my breath. Um, and that was what I was doing. But I kind of, yeah, I think I just sort of like, I mean, in a way, now that I'm, now that I'm answering the question, I'm like, I don't know. I had never really meditated before. I just knew that that's what I needed to be doing kind of mm-hmm. intuitively. You need to be taking some deep ass breaths through this because I wanted to be calm. You know, I wanted to be very Zen. I wanted, I knew that as his death doula, you know, I'm literally transitioning him. I'm bringing, Mm -hmm. ushering him out of this realm, out of this lifetime into the next one. I knew that I had a very important role to do and I didn't want my energy to be frantic. And I knew Mm -hmm. that I needed to ground myself and I knew that breath was the way to do it. So I just literally started meditating in the morning, like an hour in the morning every day. Just breathing deep, deep ass breaths, bringing my attention back to my breath. Um, wow. That's, thank you for sharing that. It's really powerful and really relevant to this moment because as you're saying, right, like this is a moment as well that we collectively are going through knowing that this is trauma knowing that this is going to change everything on a personal and a global level. And so to dance and breathe through it um, feels equally important. Yeah, in what you're saying. Um, well, the last thing I'd love for you to talk about is um, a flirt workshop. <laughs> Tell me about your relationship to flirting and and uh, what you've learned from this workshop we were talking about before we started recording or anything else. Yes, so I went to a Femme for Femme flirting workshop and Femme was... Um, it was written F E M slash M E. Um, mm. so a nod to the, the sort of expansiveness of the word femme. And I'm still exploring my own femme identity. And sometimes I feel it. And a lot of times I don't, um, nonetheless, I went, I was encouraged by the facilitator Lee, um, who just runs a beautiful workshop and has done this series Femme for Femme. Um, just, just so that we can make this really accessible as, as you just mentioned, your relation, like how I'll ask you to define femme in the way that you defined queerness. Yes. Um, you know, going to go with the hard, I don't know. And that's really why. And I like messaged Lee and I was like, I don't even know if I know what femme means or if I identify as that. Um, but my understanding of femme is that, um, it's an expansive way to talk about femininity. Um, another way to think about gender that isn't attached to like biological definitions of womanhood, but is instead anchored in, um, yeah, sort of more complex understanding of what femininity is. Um, but yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, we'll all be figuring it out. Um, I did this workshop. It was a flirting workshop. And there was a lot of community conversation about just encouraging people to reflect on how we shoot our shot. If we are interested in someone, how do we navigate approaching them, going after, you know, stating our, stating our desire, stating our intention, 
um, why are we shy about it sometimes? Or what do we do to be bold? And what are some of the ways that we say it? Some of the strategies that we, um, you know, that we use. Um, and then there was a little practice. So it was like the invitation was, if there's someone here that you might like to flirt with, then send them a message and see if they want to flirt with you. And then we were in like these breakout chat rooms um, where we got to talk to people one-on-one and it was really sweet and really, it was really affirming actually to just hear people talk about their varied experiences with flirting and, and recognizing that it's just a way really the, really what I got from it was that flirting is, is just a way to creatively express interest, um, like a playful way to express interest in getting to know someone further. Um, and that, and that there is a way, I think a lot, what I learned about myself is that sometimes I, I'm a little more reserved when it comes to flirting because I don't want to, I'm not always looking for a relationship, you know, to ride the relationship escalator with someone. So I'm like, I don't want to be flirting with someone because I'm not necessarily trying to, you know, um, like date, fall in love, move in, have babies, (laughs) like, you know, the whole thing. Like maybe I just want to flirt for this hour. Um, so that was something that I brought up and that was echoed is that, you know, this monogamous, culture that, you know, a a largely monogamous culture convinces people that there is this kind of expected trajectory of involvement with another person. And it just reminded me, this workshop just reminded me that flirting can be about the moment that it can be about like, Oh, in this moment, I'm engaged with you and I'm giving you my attention and I'm letting you know on purpose that I'm into you. Um, and that, that doesn't have to mean anything other than that. It can just be that, um, and if we want it to be something more than that, then that's a separate conversation. So it was sweet. It was cute. And now I'm like flirting with some cuties from the workshop. Which is- <laughs> <laughs> so I'm giving. I love that. I mean, I think it's, it's very aligned with, again, how we started our conversation. It's in the realm of like lover friends. It's in the realm of just defining always what it is for you. And I think, and the realm of consent and, also how like boundaries create freedom. So what's really nice about a flirt workshop is like, and also this is explicitly what this is about right now is this hour and this moment. And that flirtiness too is like such a delicious form of um, self-expression is what I've been thinking about lately. And I think I went for a very long time. I had like an intentional kind of antenna down celibacy phase that I recently came out of. And so the first like, flirtations that I felt was like, oh, my experience of myself was, you know, like very expressive and um, playful and fun and sexy. And I was like, oh, this flirting is just a way to also like really feel yourself. And that there's some like something really delicious about that. And it's, you know, it's, it doesn't even need to be about expressing interest in another person. Right. Um, It's true. That's a good point. And I wonder, um, I would love more containers to like explore that kind of juiciness. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I think it just comes back to, I don't know, what's just coming to my brain right now is how when when I was younger and like, I don't know, college or, or my early 20s, you're talking about your Tinder dates and like, just the like 
should not be obligatory. Like, can we please shatter this whole paradigm? However, it's like that phase of your young adulthood that it's just like messy hookup culture. Um, where I would so often feel like the script had already been written. And so it was really hard for me to navigate consent because I was like, Oh, oops. Like I invited this person over. So I guess I've already consented to like this thing happening. Right. Where in fact, it's like, as, as you've been saying, we are creating in every moment, our reality and have complete agency over that. And one thing doesn't have to lead to another, lead to another that, you know, we're, we're constantly in this generative co-creative emergent reality and the more that we can align with that as um as a truth and a way to live in the world which again is like what I think what I see so much of what you're doing and um living to be so um it's what I see you're all about um the more than permission we have to explore all of those aspects of ourselves in in greater safety yes absolutely and I would love would love for there to be greater safety for that exploration in our culture. And we're getting there. We'll keep having these conversations. Yes, it's true. This is part of this is part of it. This is part of the shift for sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing so candidly about your experience and sharing your light and your brilliance. And we will link to all of the amazing work that you're putting out in the world. And um, it's just one of my life's joys to be in conversation with you. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. This was a delight. If this episode turned you on, please subscribe, rate, and review us. It makes a huge difference. Then head to strippersandsages.com to learn more about our guests, sign up for our mailing list, access special resources, and become a Patreon supporter, which would be very sexy of you. Special thanks to Ben Euphrat for scoring and mixing these episodes and to Lilia Tam and John Wolfstone for their production support. Stay sexy, folks.